On this episode of the podcast, I have with me Che Sharma. He is the founder of Epo. We're going to be talking about the relationship between uh, data and engineering teams. Um, che has some interesting background in terms of how that relationship works, how it evolves, and uh, he has some interesting stories to share. Uh, che, thanks for being on the podcast. Happy to be here, I'm here. Awesome. So let's start at the top and, and find out uh, what Epo does. And as a founder, what are your responsibilities? Yeah, absolutely. You know, Epo is a next generation AV experimentation platform. It's one that indexes heavily on metrics, analytics, and empowering engineers to kind of impact metrics. Uh, you know, a lot of this comes out of my own personal biography, building the stuff at Airbnb. You know, I think we. Uh, by investing heavily in experimentation, ended up with this incredibly entrepreneurial culture where engineers can you know, test stuff out. They're, they're given free reign to see how good their ideas are. And you know, we saw just incredible impact from just ideas that would come from any part of the org. So I really want... You know, I often say like we're really in the business of selling entrepreneurial culture. And you know, the best way to get there is A-B experimentation. Absolutely. And then you're you're a founder, but uh, maybe you could help us understand, you know, kind of what part, what roles you play. Yeah, absolutely. So my background is in data science, uh, and originally I studied electrical engineering and stats. So I kind of have been going down this kind of technical data work side. I did production machine learning and uh, a lot of data engineering, data tools development. Uh, so I said it all. Say I mostly came from the the technical side, but you know, since starting Epo as a solo founder. Um, you know, I find myself first, I was doing technical work. Then I started really focusing on product strategy and go to market, which I still do today. Although as the org grows, suddenly you're really in charge of vision and finding the right people to accomplish that vision. Absolutely. Different hats, uh, but it's all still towards uh, the goal of uh, growing the company, obviously. And this this episode kind of is centered around you know talking about the relationship uh, between you know the data um, uh, team and the engineering team, um, and, and I think a couple areas we're going to be touching on um, are some of the components of that balance and and how they actually partner. Um, but maybe just at a high level, just to start off in terms of you know just what that relationship between data and engineering looks like um, when you're kind of you know, in the past, obviously, you played a little bit more on the the data science side. Um, how, how do you kind of view the different types of personalities that sit maybe on the data data science team versus the engineering team? Yeah, data science is pretty interesting because uh, you know there's forms of data science that are very into building. You know, you think of production data systems, and then there are also parts of data science that are about evangelism, about kind of swaying decision making. You know, one of the ways I like to think about this stuff is that every single product iteration has four cycles. It has understanding the problem, designing a solution, building the solution, and then measuring if it works. And when you think of that framing, you know, data science tends to, especially the evangelism side, really focuses on understanding the problem at the beginning and measuring it at the end. And in between is where a lot of engineers sit, which is around designing the solution and building the solution. So you know, there's kind of a nice uh, partnership that can kind of develop there where data people are really trying to improve decision quality across the org. And the most important decision quality is usually product decision quality of just like, are we launching the right things? And engineers are uniquely situated to make products happen. You know, and some of it comes through you know, a top-down product planning process, but engineers also in the best 
organizations have agency to do what they think is important. So, you know, the way I think this partnership works is that data teams need to scalably give everyone an understanding of the problem. And that's not just the head of product, but literally every engineer should truly understand, you know, who are the customers? What do they want? How is the, how are these systems performing? Um, and then, you know, engineers can take that and build amazing products. Absolutely. And, and I guess, you know, that's an interesting distinction because obviously decision quality, um, engineers are building things, um, you know, they're building things in real time. They're putting it out there, you know, getting deployed. There's a little bit of a lag, um, no matter how close we, we want to be. There is a little bit of a lag to, to decision quality metrics. I guess when you're looking at the relationship and obviously they're producing things and the data team's coming back with that, those metrics after the fact, how does that how does that tend to balance? Like how does that tend to work? Yeah, I mean it's it depends on what stage of organization you are, right? Because like to understand whether something worked or not, you first need metrics. Like what is success? You know, how do we decide something is successful or not? Is it usage? Is it, you know, uh, transactions or something like that? And that's really where I think a lot of data teams need focus is actually providing a value system for the organization of just saying like what is good and what is bad. Because once you have that basic understanding, it's really empowering for engineers to say, like, look, I know that for Airbnb in 2014, we were focused on growth. We care about the number of bookings. We don't care about revenue. We care about the number of bookings. That And, you know, I, as someone who's like living in the product so much more than pretty much anyone else in the organization, because I'm constantly developing it, I can just see these opportunities, right? And I can go out there and build it. Um, now, earlier in an organization's history, like it can be a little bit of a long feedback cycle, both out of the data volumes and traffic you get, and also out of like a lot of times a data person has to manually pull the stuff, and that's kind of painful. And so the other responsibility of a data team is to not just establish a virtuous cycle of you know uh, what is successful, what's not, but to make that virtuous cycle go really, really fast. And you know, as you might imagine, a system like Epo with experimentation, that's really where we see ourselves. Absolutely. And I guess when you're kind of looking at, you know, some of the, the feedback loop, obviously, you know, you're looking at some of that AB, you know, testing some of that experimentation, coming back with engineering. Um, you know, sometimes you're going through a product team. Sometimes you're not, like you said, depending on the stage. So maybe let's talk about, you know, the different stages of you know, an organization, you know, smaller teams, bigger teams, and how that relationship plays out. You mentioned Airbnb. Uh, I know, you know, some obviously we'll we'll put your LinkedIn profile into the show notes. People can go uh, look at your background, but you work there. Drawing from like that experience, um, you know, how how were some of those experiments launched? Especially if you know the feedback loop's important, and and it takes some time. Are there cases where um, you know, it diverged and the engineers went off and did did something on their own and, and hoped they were right? Or how, how did that potentially play out? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we saw over... I was there five years as context. I was there from 2012, 2017. I was the fourth data scientist. So when, it, when I first started, there was just a lot of, of low-hanging fruit. And, um, you know, it was a pretty small org. And by the time I left, it was like, it was a behemoth, right? There was a lot going on. Um, and... Over those five years, some of our strongest experiments, the things that moved the metrics most powerfully, were things that kind of came out of an engineer's head. And so, like, you know, the classic case I always bring up is, um, you know, the most impactful experiment of that entire five years was, 
This engineer made it so that when you click on an Airbnb listing, it opens it in a new tab. So little, little change, right? But what you know, the design team and the product team, they were like, oh, it feels kind of ugly or whatever. But the engineer who did this was like, look, if I go to a bunch of other similar sites, they adopted this pattern. Why don't we just see? And lo and behold, it was a huge deal because it turns out not losing your book, your search context and not having to back space all this time was a you know a big deal for getting people to actually book things. So that's just an example where it's like the, the biggest changes can come from the biggest metric movements can come from small changes. And engineers are just uniquely enabled to like push the boundaries and like take away all these sort of sacred cows of like what is what do we know, what do we not know? Hmm. That that's actually, you know, I think we talked about that. And I think that's uh, a super interesting uh functionality that I don't know how I would live without because I, yeah, I, I, I'm right? so used to it and I so I was thinking about it, I was like what would I do if if I would lose that search context and you see some you know some sites that do and you're like well you know could you make it like here maybe anyways and another example I always like to bring up is um you know another one of our most impactful experiments was uh the Airbnb team at one point decided they wanted to build these neighborhood guides these things where you're gonna go search and say I want to stay in the mission district of San Francisco and then you go and you'd have these pages of like glossy photos and like, here's where you can go to this nice bakery and you know, here's this park or whatever. Um, it was a big investment. There's all this press, you know, it was like a big product launch. Um, it turns out that one of the top five most impactful experiments was to get that entire flow out of the product, just remove it. Because reading pages and pages of glossy photos and text was a huge distraction from booking Airbnb listings. And it turns out we are not TripAdvisor. We are like a booking platform. And that sort of thing is from an engineering perspective is really interesting because it shows that um, the like there's there, you think there might be this feeling of like, wow, I wasted a lot of time, you know, getting all of this code right, getting all this logic right, doing this debugging, you know, you know, like there's just so much time spent on making code. Um, and then it's like, oh wow, that whole thing was a waste like a negative thing, right? And you'd think that would be a big detriment. But what, what's actually what I've noticed is that engineers love knowing that we are doing our best to not waste time. Like it's just that feeling of like, you know, our organization is keeping ourselves honest of like what is a waste of time, what is not. And I'm glad to have that feedback cycle. Cause like even if this thing turns out wasn't a good use of time, like we have confidence we're gonna set up converge on it. Plus, I can try out my own ideas and see how hard this stuff is. Yeah, I guess you know that's an interesting uh, point. And, and I guess if it, if I'm thinking through what you said, um, obviously engineers like to, to see things in into use, into production. I think you always hear one of the complaints of why engineers leave organizations. Well, I'm building stuff that doesn't ever get used. I mean, yeah, how, how fun is that? Um, and I guess when you look at the experimentation side and you're looking at you know, the data science, the product team, they're responsible for, you know, getting the experiment set up, you know, qualifying and making sure uh, that that these are the right experiments that should move into production. That's a lot of trust on the engineering side. Like, I mean, you have to have a good process. You have to have it defined. Uh, because if you get it wrong a few times, they might be like, hey, okay. But if you get it wrong more than a few times, obviously there's other problems, but then you lose confidence and, you know, the engineers might lose confidence as well. Yeah, absolutely. And so what we've noticed with these experimentation maturity curves is when you first start measuring things, that's like so here, here's a data point as context. Like it is abundantly clear that the industry's 
standard success rate of product launches is around 20 or 30%. And there have been all these papers coming out of Airbnb and Netflix and Google and Microsoft and LinkedIn and Yahoo and Facebook. Everywhere you look, it's around 20 or 30% of the things that you think are improving metrics are actually improving metrics. So it, which is crazy to think about, you know, like talk about, you know, wasted time. Um, but it turns out it's just hard to know what's actually going to improve metric or not. And these, once you first start running experiments, you immediately start to see this success rate. And it's kind of a psychological moment for the org where it's like, wow, like we just put out four things. Only one thing worked. Like, are we the problem? And then you quickly realize it's like, no, that is the standard. And what you need to do is just try to get up from like 20% to 40% or whatever, right? Try to like, and the way you do that is just, you know, the starting point for that is to just know what worked and what didn't. Like if you you don't even have that basic knowledge of what worked and what didn't, you're never going to, you're never going to get there. Yeah, that's interesting. Because I think, um, you know, you mentioned obviously you know, s- small percentage of, of functional impact, you know, in terms of the, that, that percent of change. And you sometimes see, um, you know, I think when, when you see Gmail make a change, you have a lot of opinions. Um, and, and I guess now that I'm thinking about it, I, I wonder how many times an engineer, you know, might be coding something wondering, well, you know, I wish we could do this and bring that feedback loop back into uh, the experiment uh, and their views of obviously the, you know, the implementation sometimes is more um, tangible versus well, here's an idea that we think we tested that, that could actually work. Completely. And, you know, there are ways to kind of avoid wasting time a little bit by saying like, look, it's you, you, maybe you have to spend like twice as much effort to build it both on Android and iOS. Why don't we just put it on iOS first and run an experiment and just get some data, right? So then when we go to build on the other systems, we can, you know, at least get some of those learnings in. Like, you know, experimentation kind of opens up the path for a little bit more like of a feedback loop mid-development, uh, which again, prevents you from wasting time. Absolutely. I guess when you're looking, you know, at your own organization, you know, you run your own team, you have experience balancing this relationship with the engineering team. You've seen engineers bring, you know, some successful ideas to the table and successful experiments. How does that change how you view that dynamic within your organization? Because obviously you've you've seen it. Yeah, a big thing I think, and I touched on it a little bit earlier, is that as the company grows, I really feel like the purpose of leadership is to define the strategy. Like, what are we trying to accomplish at this exact moment? And ideally, how can I convey it in metrics? But I'm also one of those people who believes like, you know, if a qualitative statement is actually the closest thing to defining it, you should stick with that. But ideally, metrics. And so is it that you're trying to increase margins and revenue or are you trying to increase growth or do you have like a strategic play to like position yourself and acquire these types of users or something? Whatever it is, these are the questions leadership has to provide to the team because otherwise you're going to end up with all this froth of like, well, this sounds good and this sounds good and all for different reasons. Like we need some basic prioritization mechanism to work against. And that's true both for the product org, but then also with this sort of kind of virtuous feedback cycle. Absolutely. I guess the, the 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 one question that that comes up for me is as you're shifting from, you know, let's say you're smaller org and you're becoming bigger, and you start seeing shifts from, you know, sales driven experiments to now you know actually have a product team that's responsible to partner. Um, 
how does that start? How does that relationship start changing? Because obviously experiments would sometimes just dotted line into production and engineer would just build it. Now there's an extra step. They, they, you know, it's going to go through a different team. They're going to look at it. They're going to vet it, make sure they have tighter metrics before it goes forward. How does that relationship start evolving as you shift from that sales to product driven type of work? Yeah. I mean, it, the big thing that changes is early on in a company's life cycle, you have so much customer intimacy. Like every single person in the building has probably spoken to 10 different customers, like longitudinally, you know, like, like multiple instances. You know, that's the part of the joy of working at a startup was that you just have these like very deep connections with your customers. But kind of as you grow into these growth stages, like you kind of lose that. Like if you think of the average employee of like a Series C startup, you probably might talk to like two or three customers your entire time there. It's like it, and that's just kind of the nature of things where like early on, this heavy amount of customer intimacy lets you kind of like, you know, operate a little bit more on intuition. And then eventually you have to gravitate to this world. They're going to operate off data because data ultimately is the voice of the customers. It's customers voting, vote, voting with their feet. Right. And so like that's kind of where these data teams start cropping up. That's kind of right around this product market fit time where you're like, let's bring on the first person. We'll have them start off with just like BI dashboards. But the arc of this work is to arm everyone with this kind of direct line to customer feedback via data. Um, you know, the analogy that I think YC uses all the time is like, you know, early on when you're a startup, you're kind of like a Wrights Brothers plane. And like, it's like the simple little thing, but you have like perfect visibility. You can look all around and see the sky and the earth like in every direction. And by the time you're at product market fit, you're kind of like a 747. In which case, you can't just look around and steer. You have all these dials and stuff that's saying like how high up are you and you know what do you need to do. And that, that's kind of the the change that needs to happen. So I, I think of data teams, the analytic sides of data teams, really what they're trying to do is provide that early stage customer intimacy at scale. And as you might imagine, experimentation is a very large part of that. Absolutely. I guess now that you're um, kind of envisioning your own company. Um, and and kind of the growth and you know the the dynamics that you've seen work elsewhere as you start you know moving you know you're you're you guys from being sales driven to product driven do you foresee yourself trying to formalize that faster knowing that you know eventually it's going to happen in a more you know rigid process and a you know, better product or might help yeah, definitely. I mean, I think, you know, experimentation and entrepreneurialism is really in our ethos. It's why we exist, right? So as you might imagine, we put a lot more premium on it. And I just, the way I think about it is that, like, what is experimentation? It's sort of like trying to have a scientific, falsifiable approach to the product. And you can do that even early on, right? Like, even early on, you can say, like, if we build this, we expect to see this. And if we don't see this, then we have to start asking some questions. And so, you know, maybe like early on, it is not like a literal product experiment. Maybe it's something where like, we want to see some real customer love, you know, like vocally on our calls or on social media or something like, you know, we should see some real sense that people are like using this thing and loving it. I, I really think that like, it's funny because a lot of early stage founders have been running experiments the entire time. They just don't call them experiments. You know, they just do that. And so like, that's really kind of how I think about this thing. And so we're formalizing the scientific process early on and it'll just kind of have more and more rigor as we have the, like the data volume to do it. Absolutely. I, I guess, uh, kind of, kind of thinking through your own, you know, progression, uh, obviously you'd, you'd like to formalize it. 
you wear different hats. Uh, I always think this is an interesting question because you know you wear different hats right now. You probably maintain because of your background, you know, a, a pretty good you know uh, anchor within that data science experimentation uh, area as well as you mentioned. When do you start giving up some of those hats and, and like, hey, I've got to shed some of these? I mean, it seems like it's one of the hardest things for a founder to be cognizant of when they need to divest themselves of responsibility. But also if they don't, that that becomes a bottleneck. It really, it really is. And, you know, one of the, my favorite books for this is it's this book, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And I think this is really important for everyone's career. You know, like even if you're not a founder, even if you're just kind of, you know, getting promoted at various points or taking on projects at different points, it's just really important to realize that the reason you got to where you are was due to a bunch of actions, which are not going to be the things that get you to the next level. And that's just so true of being a founder. And except that kind of outgrowing, like the thing that got you there won't get you there. That just happens so fast, you know, like on, on the scale of seemingly months, that, you know, if your company is growing fast like ours. Um, and so like... Uh, I think one of the big transitions is early on, you can kind of operate like a sprint team. You can be really in the loop on a lot of stuff. And then kind of quickly, you have to start acting a bit more like an org where like you have to foster leaders. You have to kind of create a framework for fast decision-making. Because you know one of the things about being a startup is that it's usually not necessarily the, the quality of your decisions is how fast you make them, um, how to fit into the fast you make them. And so like... What you can't have is a situation where like people in the company don't feel empowered to make decisions and they feel like they have to go through CEO. And, and you know, as CEO, there's this, there's always this feeling like, man, if I get involved, like I'm sure I could use another 20% more, you know, output or something like that. But you just got to resist that thing and just empower your people and, you know, let them feel true ownership and agency over, you know, what they're operating on. I, I guess that's, that's some great advice because I think, um, that that's how you get a really strong team around you because you're going to need that if you're going to scale. So I think uh, you know your your perspective is I think awesome. Um, I was going to say, Che, thanks for thanks for being on. I, I know you know you're super busy taking time out to be on the show. Um, can't thank you enough. I was going to ask you. Um, we've been asking guests. Uh, I'd love to see if you have uh, a question or a topic that you'd hope a future guest uh, could respond to. Yeah, I think the. Um... One of the things I think a lot around is uh, how do you build great engineering culture, right? This is something that I, I take, you know, we had such a great engineering culture at Airbnb and I've just I've been obsessed with it ever since. You know, one that values craftsmanship um, and has a great, like, you know, build cool stuff energy to it. Like, you know, everyone just has a lot of pride, you know, even at the down moments when you're like, have just have a bad week of bugs and you're all in the trenches together. like. How do you build this culture where people are energized to work together? And you know, I, I have like all sorts of my own personal answers to that, and I'm very proud of what we built. But I just feel like it's this question that is both so important, but like doesn't get direct on the nose uh, conversation as much as it needs Absolutely. to. Absolutely, that's a great topic, and uh, hopefully, somebody out there listening to it who has. Uh gone through uh, the process of building uh, an org or has experience uh, building out an org with a uh, unique culture, a great culture. I guess those are some subjective words, but uh, it's it's not, it's it's more art than science. And I think it's uh, it'd be great to share. And, and one of the things I have learned already is that like the people who are asking the most around like what makes a great culture, like, you know, it's not the people who haven't figured it out 
who are asking that. The people who have figured it out are still asking that. You know, like it's it's a there's a true depth of the conversation, and you know, it, you just have to treat the topic seriously enough that you're going to continue improving at it. Absolutely. Well, I was going to ask you if somebody does want to reach out to you to to pick your brain on anything you've mentioned. If they want to, you know, they're like, "Heck, Epo sounds like a great company. I want to go work for them." If they just want to chat with you about anything you've mentioned on the episode at all, what's a good way of getting a hold of you? Is it LinkedIn, email? What are some good options? Yeah, LinkedIn, Twitter, email. My email is cheyagetepo.com. You know, I always love hearing from people. Uh, you know, our website is getepo.com. You can reach out to us there. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. Chetan Sharma is my full name. Um, I'm sure you can kind of provide a few links in the notes. I'll, I'll get them out there. Yeah. But yeah, I'd love to hear from people. I'm you know, very, very passionate about this subject. And you know, kind of how do you unleash this sense of ownership and agency and uh, entrepreneurialism in companies? Absolutely. Uh, I can't thank you enough. I appreciate your time. And thanks for being on as a guest. Absolutely. Thanks, Amir. Absolutely. That's it for this episode. We'll be back again. Uh, different guests, different topic. Um, two things. One, if you can uh, speak to... Uh, the art, I like to say, you know, call it the art of building a great uh, engineering culture. Reach out. I think uh, to Chase's point, I think a lot of people love to hear more about that. And I think we can't have enough people talking about it because it's 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 definitely uh, takes some uh, skill and know-how. And let's share that with everyone. Um, and secondly, if you find the episode useful, please share it. That's how it's been growing. I can't thank everyone that does every week. Um, that's it for this week. I'll be back again. Thank you and goodbye.